Hello, welcome, Joel. Um, can you hear me? Yes, I can. How's it going? It's going great, Joel. Um, I hope this time everything is working well because last time I had some issues with Twitter Spaces. Some sometimes they work a little bit uh, erratically, but it seems to be working okay now. Yeah, it's always a little bit challenging, but uh, at least it looks like you have the record button on. That's good. Um, I know I was in a pretty popular space that got kind of technical in the last week where they forgot to do the record button, so all that was kind of wasted. But yeah, it looks like you're you're off to a great start. Okay, okay, good, good. You know, sometimes um, since uh, Elon Musk took over, they, they were turning off some services, and I think it um, created some issues. Um, you know, uh, first of all, I would like to you to uh, I would like to welcome you to the space and everyone who is uh, tuning in now and who will listen to the recording later. Um, you know, I'm really thrilled to have someone like you on the show who I mean on the space who's been using crypto for its you know original intended purpose, which is uh, you know like it was laid out in the white paper, electronic peer-to-peer -peer cash, and. Um, I think, uh, unfortunately, many have forgotten what was the original purpose of it. Of this all, it has become increasingly a speculative asset, uh, you know, digital gold and so on. And while that is all good, I think uh, it's really important to uh, rem remember also what was the original, uh, let's say, use case that at least I envisioned as the real use case when I first encountered crypto in 2013. And uh, it's... Uh, a little bit, um, let's say, even disappointing a little bit that uh, on this front uh, it hasn't advanced that much, in my opinion. But uh, please tell us a little bit how did you, you know, decide to embark on this journey? And and also I'm interested if you really can do it, you know, 100%. You know, many people I talk to are a little bit skeptical also that it's really doable 100%, like totally living on crypto. So, Joel, please uh, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so the quick answer to that second question, just so people have it in their heads, is absolutely yes. Um, is it easy? 80% of it, I would say, could be called easy. There's some of it that's not easy. Do you have to sometimes make some trade-offs and sacrifices and things? Well, yes, also. So how I started to kind of get into crypto, um, I always had a very clear um perception in my head of uh, basically the value of money because I grew up in a border community between the U.S. and Mexico and I saw different monies being used all the time and my grandmother had some old pesos that were no longer viable back in the 90s and they were the new ones were and so I grew up without this concept of that there's one sacred money that will persist forever. I kind of always knew that there would be some, that there there could be a churn in the money. And uh, also from the history of money, just learning about how the history of money works, I learned about how to, how basically barter moved into precious metals and then coins and things like that. And then paper certificates representing the, that gold or silver and I, they always kind of skipped over what happened when we got rid of the gold and silver. And whenever someone just skips over something that doesn't make sense, it's usually because either someone does not understand why themselves or it's because they want to sort of hide that. And so from a very early age, I kind of knew that the money's not very good. 
uh, of course, I, you know, with enough years on this planet, you start to see prices change. You remember what something cost when you were young. And then when you get older, you start to see that it costs something completely different. And there's only one reason for that to happen. Usually it's, you know, inflation. And so as such, I was always very aware of the need to uh, use real money where you don't have to work twice as hard to just uh, make more money because half of it is going to be inflated away over a certain period of time, for example. And so I was kind of looking into options of what could I do to, to use something like gold? And it was just not very many good options. Um, Peter Schiff had a bank back then and he had a system that kind of allowed you to do things like that, but that was never very viable. And then somewhere around 2012, I believe I started hearing about Bitcoin and kind of got into that whole thing. And it wasn't until 2013 when I started, actually, I actually got some and um, someone paid me back for a pizza when we were, we were eating out. And so that's how I got my first Bitcoin, which now, of course, the pizza is kind of a sacred food in the, the Bitcoin culture. Um, but since then, I've been just using a variety of cryptos um, on a semi-regular basis um, pretty consistently since 2015. It was at 2015 that I decided that I didn't want to earn any fiat currency anymore. I wanted to only earn crypto. And so that's kind of what I've been doing since then. And then the next year, I closed my bank account. And most of that was on Bitcoin in the early days. And then since 2016 onward, it's been other coins, mostly Dash for most of that time. And then, you know, it's a, it's a mix now. But still, that's the, the number one one I use most often. Uh, you know, Joel, I have a similar experience to you because I um, come from uh, Slovenia, right? And it uh, used to be Yugoslavia. So actually, I went through uh, four currencies in my life. So when I was born, there was a dinner, then we had Bonn, then we had Slovenian dollar, and now we have Euro. So like you, you know, uh, we don't have this, um, I never had this idea of a strong currency like dollar for Americans, I guess, going through four uh, currencies in one's life, then you don't, uh, you automatically don't trust that fiat, whatever fiat you're using will last forever. And also, we also went through hyperinflation in, uh, in ex-Yugoslavia. So um, that idea was already present uh, in my mind sincerely. Um, you know, but I guess it's very important where you live, right? In order to make this work, I guess. I don't think it's possible anywhere, right? So I think it's, um, you have to pick the right city, so to speak. Isn't that so? Um, yes, sort of. The, this is rapidly changing. So at the root of everything, money, and especially a decentralized money, decentralized tech, is something that can kind of be used um, by anyone, anywhere in the world, with no one's permission. So at that level, at the technical level, uh, and even just the, the end user level, anyone in the world with a smartphone in particular can download an app and then start sending and receiving crypto of a variety of different kinds. So on that, in that level, everyone can use this just as easily everywhere in the world. Now, the trick is, um, let's just, I mean, if you pick some, I don't want to, like, say Madagascar, right? Let's just pick some random country. Um, if someone starts using crypto there, um, all, there becomes some sort of uh, need to start building a local economy from scratch. I mean, let's say someone 
you know, downloads a Dash wallet, right? And then maybe they tweet at me, hey, I just got a Dash wallet. And I feel like I want to be nice. And so I send them some Dash. Now they got a little, now they're ready to go. But then what do they do with it? Is there anyone else in the country that accepts this? Maybe they convince someone else and then they pay them for goods and services, this small bit that they have. But how do they then get more? And what services, what businesses, uh, kind of beyond just an individual to individual level, accept it? That's where it gets very tricky. So on the one sense, in the one sense, it's very global. It's very, anyone can do it. In the other sense, it very much depends on, um, I wouldn't say jurisdictions because that kind of uh, denotes government, uh, but certain areas have different um, different local economies and services that kind of work on that. And so um, when I started, this is how it's really changed. When I started, there were almost no services that, that accepted this. There was a few... Um, there was like a few Bitcoin exchanges, for example, where people could go in and out of uh, fiat currency. But in, beyond that, there was like one or two websites that everyone knew about because, oh, these guys, they take they take payment. Like I think uh, Expedia was one of the, the early ones, for example. And you know, obviously Overstock. I remember when Overstock.com um, started accepting Bitcoin. Locally here where I live in New Hampshire, a whole bunch of people got together and had like an almost like launch party. And then they all bought things off of Overstock uh, with Bitcoin. And I remember um, even though Overstock was head headquartered in Utah at the time, um, locally in New Hampshire had the highest per capita business sales of anywhere in the world for when they started taking taking Bitcoin. And so that early day, there was a lot of, well, I know this guy and he'll, he'll take it there. A lot of farmers markets, a lot of, you know, also people who wanted it, who would pay a bill on my behalf or something like that. And I'd pay them there. And that's still, that's very, I think, unique to the, this, the free state project, which is this movement of pro-liberty people that all moved a lot of people who care about freedom all to New Hampshire. And so because of that, just about anyone who participated in this freedom movement was very friendly towards cryptocurrencies and still is. So that part was much more um, hyper-local, hyper-regional for me. Uh, but since then, that that's still very much in effect. However, it's a very much smaller part of my daily life in this because there's quite a few different services that kind of allow you to use cryptocurrency on a much more um, much more broad basis without having to, to make this very small interconnected kind of network of merchants and services that'll take it. There's, there's service providers that will kind of allow you to do that. And uh, with just a, a couple of these really allow you to spend crypto on almost anything if you really want to. But uh, did I hear you well that you already in 2015 or 16, you closed your bank account, did you say? I mean, how did that feel? I mean, I, I imagine that uh, I would feel, uh, you know, some anxiety while doing that. Yeah, I guess there was some anxiety. Um, the biggest source of anxiety was the year before, 2015, because that's when I decided um, I was not going to I was not going to accept any payment in fiat currency. And I mean, obviously that's, that's a much easier thing to do today. You can just say, Oh, well, 
there's a giant crypto industry to work in, or especially if you're a developer, or, oh, well, I know these few services that will let me just take my paycheck and will convert it into crypto. I mean, Coinbase does this, for example. And so there's a, because there's a few things like that, it's much less scary. Back then, um, I just made this decision. I was going to do this. And after making the decision, I got afraid because I didn't exactly know what the next step was. I was like, well, I don't code um, and I'm not into finance really. And uh, I just want to earn Bitcoin, but I don't know how I'm going to do it. I guess I'll have to like find people. And it, it was pretty rare that people would actually pay in that. There was a few. So I had to, to really look. That was the, the scary part. Once that started to happen, and then I still use my bank account to kind of transfer in and out to mostly just sell some Bitcoin if I needed to, to pay for things. Um, at that point, that wasn't actually that difficult. And it wasn't something I intended to do really uh, at first. It was a situation where uh, someone basically impersonated me and took all the money out of the account. And I had to spend a few days getting that resolved and getting the transaction reversed and all that. And because of that, they, um, they said the bank account is compromised and you shouldn't, you have to close it and we'll reopen you one. And so when they closed it, then I just said, just hold off on reopening. Let me, let me think about it. And I just never went back to reopen it. And that's, that's kind of where it went. That part is probably more radical for most people, but because of the way I'd been living up until then, it was not as scary as that first step. So like you mentioned, uh, it wasn't easy back then to find uh, jobs that would pay crypto. I got lucky because I, in 2016, I worked for um, Poloniex, you know, Poloniex Exchange. Back then yeah. it used to be big. And, you know, they paid, they made an exception for us who non-American employees, they paid us in Bitcoin and their American employees, they paid them in dollars. But that was amazing, you know, because also you would, um, often you would get, uh, you would get your pay. And then by the end of the month, your pay was doubled already because it was a bull market then in 2017 and so on. So that was amazing. Uh, but it's not so easy to come across it. And, um, uh, but, but in general, you, you're saying that it's going in a good direction in the sense that it's becoming easier and easier, right? Yes, I think it's definitely becoming easier. Obviously, this depends a lot on the country. I don't have a lot of visibility on the world as a whole, but I do know basically what it's like. It's, the, obviously, the U.S. is more my specialty because this is where I live and this is where I have to know which services I can and can't use. Uh, Canada as well. To a certain extent, you know, Australia, most of Europe, obviously Europe is not just one country, right? But a lot of services that work in a few European countries work in kind of the rest of them. And so in those areas, um, it's quite a lot easier. Um, I, in fact, for a long time, uh, I wouldn't say a long time, but up until maybe the last year, there was quite a few services that were available in Europe that were not available in the U.S. as easily. And so Europe was kind of the best place to be, of course, depending on the country. But let's say, for example, like Austria, right? Austria had a really great crypto presence and I think still does. And so, yeah, it's getting a lot easier. Um, and surprisingly enough, or I don't know if it's surprisingly, but 
the adoption wave has kind of moved in a slightly different way than it than maybe you would have uh, expected. There may be fewer total like individual businesses that accept cryptocurrency payments directly as far as like, oh, there's this cafe here, I'll roll this this business over there that they have like a crypto accepted here kind of sticker on the door. Um, there might be few there there might be fewer of those than there were in the past. However, from the consumer standpoint, there's a lot of services that work as go-betweens for spending your crypto, which make it a lot easier than trying to kind of find hunt down a map of all these places that might take it. And um, that part that's gotten a lot easier. And um, a lot of these are probably one of the greatest things to happen to crypto adoption. In fact, has been the the gift card go-between, where a lot of services will sell you a gift card which is redeemable at a whole bunch of major merchants. And then you can just spend it that way. Um, the earliest one of these that I remember uh, was a an app called Gift, which is spelled G-Y-F-T. And um, unfortunately, that was always a little, it wasn't super easy to use because you had to buy in some solid increments, like 10 or $25 worth of a gift card. And you also had to like wait for on-chain Bitcoin confirmations, which you know was one of the reasons I stopped using Bitcoin. Uh, you had to wait for that in order for that to get delivered. Now there's a lot of different services that provide this, but there's a few in particular that will let you buy an exact amount and down to like the cents, down to the decimal point of gift code or gift credits, and they'll allow you to buy it instantly to where you can actually buy it for just the payment you want to make. So in the past, for example, let's say you want to do go eat at some restaurant, um, you would buy, let's say, $100 worth of credit with something like Bitcoin, and then you would use that, and then maybe you, it would be $38 worth. And then you still have a balance on that card. You'd have to remember to keep coming back to that one, that establishment, and until that was done. Or you combine, when that was almost done, you combine it with another new one to then keep, keep using it. Now you can usually go there, buy whatever you want, and when it comes when it comes time to pay, only then buy a gift code and buy it for exactly the amount you want and just be done. Just forget about it. And that's been probably the number one easiest go-between. Um, the next one that has gotten has been very useful um, and used to be only in places like Europe, Canada, and Australia. It used to not be in the U.S., were uh, bill pay services that let you pay regular bills like utility bills and rent and things like that with crypto. They kind of like pay the bill for you and you pay them. And there, there's finally some services like that in the U.S. very recently. I think there's only one that is consistently operating right now. That's the other thing that really helps. And then the third thing, which is sort of, which I kind of hope that this is only a brief stage in the crypto uh, adoption curve because I don't really like using cards and things like that. Um, but there's easily provisioned prepaid crypto debit cards. And a bunch of those came around. A bunch of them went offline when the banking partner of the app or whatever decided to, to stay away from crypto. But there's still quite a few around where you can do the same thing I described for a gift card except for just a Visa or MasterCard or something. Also without provisioning your identity and you know giving your right your uh, 
identity documents or without giving up custody of your crypto. And so that's that last go-between that really helps. Uh, I know it's available in mostly the U.S., but there's a few providers that are starting to work on um, elsewhere in the world, including, of course, Europe. And that kind of last bit allows you to only have a very small, uh, I guess, fiat-denominated balance at any one time, or even none. In some cases, you want to buy something online. It costs, let's say, 250 euros. You buy 250 euros worth of a, a, a 250 euro prepaid card and then spend it immediately. And now you just get rid of the card because it's spent. So that's kind of the, the landscape of things um, as it is today. That's really interesting, Joel. Uh, another thing I wanted to mention is, I think, you know, ATMs, uh, crypto ATMs, I wanted to ask you how, uh, what's your experience with that and so on. For instance, where I live, uh, there used to be, uh, it used to be like amazing, you know, there were these uh, ATMs that uh, accepted Monero and there was no KYC for certain amount, uh, for a higher amounts there was, but uh, it was like thousand euro a day no KYC and you could use also Monero and the Litecoin and Bitcoin and I think Ethereum. And um, it was really a great method for cashing out. But uh, for instance, uh, where I am, this has changed recently and all of them have become KYC only. So I guess uh, my question is, do you, th do you see, because I'm guessing that uh, basically that this Crypto ATMs don't have a future. I hope I'm wrong about this, but I don't know. I'm just guessing that the, the state won't allow it. What, what do you think about that? Uh, I think that um, I'm not, it's not an easy yes or no question, right? I do think that, um, let me just put it this way. I think crypto ATMs will be a thing for a long time to come. Pro probably not forever. But I do think that it will be very hard to find ones that don't have KYC um, kind of requirements. There are still some that require that do like the KYC light, where they want an email address and like a phone number or something, just to confirm that you're like a person. And if you count KYC light <laughs> as not KYC, I think that there will be kind of a, a ability to do that for a while, unless laws change uh one of those things is i'm not a, an, a legal expert by any means right um i just kind of glean what i can um, guess that the laws are based on or the regulations are based on what services allow or don't allow um, and so for example all gift this didn't used to be a thing but i noticed that all gift card providers have certain maximum amounts where they will only let you buy a certain maximum amount at a certain time of course it's something large like ten thousand dollars a day or something like that it's something without providing any id right but there has to be some kind of law in there restricting that somehow um there's i believe in terms of things like prepaid cards or atms i believe there's a certain amount you can do while just providing enough information that the provider can ascertain that you are in an individual unit, right? And it's not like you're, it makes it hard for you to just pretend to be a different person every time. So even if they don't know actually who you are, they're like, well, this is an email and a phone number and there's certain limits per day or per whatever 
with just this. And we don't know who this person is, but we do know that this is a person and we can let them do this much before we have to, by law, do extra kind of verification. So in those terms, I think it's really, uh, I think that there will be a possibility to use ATMs um, for a while. Now, that, of course, the challenge becomes usually an email address, but especially a phone number uh, is um, usually enough to trace your actual identity if they really wanted to. So for people who are worried about, you know, governments and big corporations tracing them and find out their real identity, you do have to do some extra tricks. I don't use, I haven't used an ATM in a very long time, um, probably since 2019 when I, I went to Europe for a conference and I had to sell some crypto for some euros. But other than that, um, I think that you will be, be able to find numbers like SMS capable numbers and email addresses that you can use that kind of will, that will work, but also won't reveal your entire identity through that. Uh, but at the end of the day, I really believe that um, the worst part in crypto, the, the worst part of crypto, as I've said, is fiat. <laughs> the worst part about crypto is getting in and out of it from fiat currencies and that seems to be where there's a lot of people getting in legal trouble as well when they're selling as part of business or whatever. It's the whole money laundering thing. And as they consider crypto, it's not the crypto part of it. It's the fiat part that really is a problem where the fiat's the money. And by exchanging it for crypto, that can be viewed as laundering. So generally speaking, I think that the window for completely anonymous buying of crypto that's easy. I think that's actually something that's getting harder over time. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. That that part is getting harder, yeah. Um, but let's say the ideal here would be to earn in crypto, right? Right, Like you said, I mean, because then the whole, the whole issue, the whole problem of how to get crypto is solved for you. And um, I know that you, you've you worked for the Dash DAO, and uh, here uh, we have many of my listeners here uh, are um, into Decred, you know, the Decred community. And um, many of them also work for Decred, so they get paid by the, you know, uh, the DAO. And uh, I wonder if you, uh, if you looked into, uh, I, I think you were pretty familiar with Decred, right? I, I remember in one of your interviews, you said uh, you compared Decred and Dash as two free states, but both are also very different. So I wonder um, if you've been um, ever interested in, um, you know, uh, also looking into working for Decred also in addition to that, to, to Dash. Yeah, so the short answer is yes. The longer answer is, so from 2016 to 2019, my full-time job was working for an organization under the Dash DAO. And since 2020, you know, I've been doing other work. I have my own company, things like that. Um, and for bits and pieces there, I have still taken on work for Dash as like, you know, in a, a part-time capacity, doing some marketing things here and there, but it's not like my full-time job. It's another thing I do. And um, I also do uh, a uh, monthly podcast for Zcash called the Zcash podcast, which is on my channel. And so I do work for a few different projects. And I, of course, I'd be happy to do stuff for Decred if there's a, um, 
if there's a need or demand, um, especially um, I have a, someone I work with a lot um, is a really talented video editor and animator. And it's good for those like explainer videos. And he and I worked for together on a lot of different things. So if there's any of those kind of like narrated little animated, like how Decred works kind of things, I mean, that'd be a great thing to do, for example. But generally speaking, any project that's solid has solid fundamentals, uh, I would be more than happy to do work for. And that's something that um, I do like about, so I've been big into the DAO space since, or I mean, I should say like the, the DAO element of cryptos for a long time, ever since I ended up moving away from Bitcoin. So what happened in 2016 was Bitcoin became difficult to use for my daily money. And it, like, for example, I'd have to wait like an hour for a transaction to confirm. And when I'm trying to buy something, then I can uh, spend somewhere else, like buy a gift card. That makes it really difficult. I remember one time I had a back bid when before that regulatory loophole kind of closed, there were some like no KYC um, debit cards that you could load up and then swipe and spend. And I had a, a Wirex card back before they started putting on um, kind of restrictions on that. And um, I, I had this, obviously, since I'm trying to live off of crypto at the time, I had my entire like balance in Bitcoin and would only move it to the card when I needed to. Um, and so well, like one day I, I had to just completely skip lunch because it was a five or six hour wait for a confirmation. And so because that stuff made it very difficult, I ended up um, having to look at other options to use. And so the only other crypto I could live off of was Dash. And so that's why I was using Dash. That's why it's still, it's still, in my opinion, at least from my experience in my part of the world, probably the easiest crypto to use as like a replacement for your fiat money. Now, um, but one of the big um, lessons from that was, you know, Bitcoin worked and then some people made decisions that ended up making it work a different way. And so for my purposes, Bitcoin was unusable from like 2016 to around 2020 or 21, whenever some good reliable lightning wallets came around. And so... Uh, a lot of people in the crypto world came from Bitcoin. They were all working on Bitcoin. Bitcoin went in a different direction. And then there goes Ethereum, right? Ethereum got created because of um, the opcodes, the smart contract functionality. And then, of course, you have, you know, governance, you go decred. And then when Dash broke off or Dash wasn't, you know, like a, a chain split, but when Dash was created, one of the initial gripes was the lack of privacy in there. And so then, Dash was made for that. That's also the same story behind Zcash. A lot of people wanted to know about doing zero-knowledge proofs on Bitcoin, and then the core developers made that kind of clear that that wasn't something they wanted to pursue. And so then they went off and, and did that. And so a huge amount of the crypto space kind of left the largest network effect by far, which in my opinion is not the largest network effect today. I think probably the Ethereum ecosystem is bigger right now than the bitcoin one if you you go into you know all that stuff um and so i view the this lack of governance as kind of a critical issue that i need to know who makes the decisions and how are they made and if that's not clear and 
to be fair, um, I think a centralized model is kind of to a certain extent better in some ways than a, something like the way Bitcoin turned out to be, because at least you can go to a company or a foundation or someone and just say, what's the plan? What are you doing? And you can base it on that plan. But that removes that decentralized bit. And even though it's a permissionless currency that's run in a decentralized way, the development isn't as decentralized. And so I kind of view that as a riskier to kind of dedicate time towards. And I mean, I'll use almost anything. Like I use um, Polygon for a lot of my NFTs, for example. And I don't really care too much that it's pretty centralized in the way it's run. Uh, but as far as things that where I put my name behind it, where I, I accept money in exchange for doing work to promote it, where it's not just a tool to live my life, where I'm actually building it through my labor, that's something where I, I think it has to be something I believe in to a certain extent. And I mean, obviously, um, because of the governance system, because it's super useful for me, Dash is always up there. Um, Decred, I view, is something that's very, it kind of does a lot of the same things, but in a, in a, in a different way. So it's almost like a, um, somewhere in the multiverse, you know, Dash and Decred look like opposites. Right? It's kind of the same thing where there's a lot of very similarities in something like that. So, and um, trying a lot of new things like the hybrid proof of work, proof of stake system, I think with the ticket system and everything, I think that's an interesting way of doing things. And um, Dash has a different, has the same idea, but a different way with using masternodes in a chain locks kind of thing to uh, basically lock in blocks and make things secure. And then both have like a coin join type implementation, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, but just different ways. So that's something that I, I definitely, I definitely um, have been watching Decred relatively closely, not super close, but for a long time, because in my opinion, some things are just better than others for crypto and a solid governance and a hybrid or at least incentivized system that lets people vote and earn from that. Um, I think that that's that whole situation. Also privacy, for example, I view those as um, kind of like the best way of doing things. And because they're the best way of doing things, I think that the projects that are run in a smart way will all kind of start to look a little the same in, in those ways. Very interesting points. And uh, yeah, I agree with what you said about Decred and about, this is also very interesting what you're saying that it will, they will all start moving in the same way. Yeah. Although uh, governance is not something that is easily, it's like not something that you can add on later. So I think those projects that already have, um, governance from the get-go, from the I mean, from the foundation, will have um, perhaps in the future an advantage. Uh, Rocky, uh, I think wants to ask a question. Yeah. Rocky, you can... Hi all. Hey, hey everyone. Yeah, I wanted hey, to hey. ask a question specifically relating to credit cards that support cryptocurrencies, and I know that Binance has one and that Crypto.com has one. But are there any any other cards that are uh, active within the European Union. Uh, I would like to know that specifically. If anyone has any information, please let me know. Yeah, so I I guess people who know a little bit more would have to mention that. Part of my um, LiveGon crypto journey is I have tried to specifically 
um, keep with the, the founding crypto principles, which is first off, have my money, my main money denominated, not in dollars or euros, but in, in crypto. So that's got a kind of inflation resistance bit. The second thing is I care about self-custody. So I don't want to use a, a service where I don't hold on to my own money, where someone else is holding it for me. That's a, another principle. And then the last one is, of course, I want to be able to use it permissionlessly, privately, without connecting it to my identity. And that that's the, the last one is the hardest one to avoid. But you you can avoid you can do all three of those. And you can still, you can, it's, it's just harder the more of those you have to have all the time. It seems like with paying bills, like electricity bills and things like that, the very hardest bit is that last one. Uh, but for everything else, you can usually avoid it. So all, that's a very long way of saying, I'm not an expert on custodial KYC cards. I know that um, Coinbase has one. I don't know what the status of that is. I know there's a there's a Litecoin card. I'm pretty sure I don't know if that's a US only thing, uh, but I know crypto.com has one. These are all the ones that are custodial, meaning you give them your money, they hold on to it, and then they ask for your ID in order to use this system. And which so that solves one of those problems. One is you can keep your money denominated in something that's not dollars or euros, for example. Um, so there are a few cards. So here, here's where it gets very new, and I haven't tried all of these. I believe there's a company called the Bitcoin Company, which only Bitcoin, but they sell prepaid no KYC cards. They're like single use. You use them until they're empty, and that's it. I believe I heard someone say that they have one that works in Europe. Um, I would try... Um, the cake wallet or cake pay more specifically, that's kind of like a more Monero forward wallet, but they also support Bitcoin and Litecoin. And I believe they have some sort of a prepaid debit card on their web application that might work also in Europe. But again, that's the same thing. This is the no KYC world, which is always more annoying and difficult to use. Uh, but as far as, you know, companies and stuff, I think it's, you know, it's, I'm not exactly sure of which of those kind of work in Europe, but there is a, a company, um, Ionia, which I talk a lot about. Actually, they should probably start paying me right? um, because they have a, they use the, they power the gift card section in the cake wallet, as well as a standalone dash direct app, as well as the crypto earning part of the edge wallet. And they're coming out with a few different, crypto card programs um mostly you know, most of them no kyc and pretty efficient in the way they're used and i know that there's one that's coming out for europe and i believe that that one works in most parts of the world especially most of europe but not the uk for some reason and they're looking into another option for the uk specifically but yeah in those cases it's the way you kind of go using that is keep all your money in crypto. Then you look at uh, whichever merchant you want to spend at. And then you just buy the exact amount you need in an online checkout, copy and paste the numbers and the details. And then there you go. Uh, for in-person it's a little trickier, but it's still, you can still do it. If you have a 
like an Apple Pay or a Google Pay or one of those NFC-enabled digital wallets, you can buy a digital card and just put it in that wallet, and then you can just tap and pay anywhere they have tap and pay enabled, which it's been a few years since I've been to Europe, as far as I know, um, is much more prevalent than in the U.S. There's still a lot of merchants that have no NFC that you still have to to give a physical card and swipe it, do like the, the whole swipe motion. There's still a lot of that here, which is insane that it's that far behind. But yeah, so that's kind of um that's kind of the landscape of that. Uh, Joel, you mentioned that you wanted to basically the your ideal was uh, holding uh, inflation resistant uh, assets. So that's why you decided to be crypto only, but um, what about the worry about basically the fluctuations in price and so on? So I'm wondering, uh, what's your take on stable coins? Because I guess I guess keeping um, in stable coins would um, would still mean that you're still fully in crypto. You never leave crypto, but you would be protected against, let's say, price fluctuations. So uh, were you? Are you doing that, or are you tempted to do that, or how how, how is that? Yeah, so with the thing with stablecoins are an interesting topic. I kind of view them as similar to like a gift card solution or uh, like a prepaid car, like those kinds of things. They're temporary adoption assists, but they're not something I care about long term. Um, first off, the entire reason for stablecoins is that crypto assets are too new and volatile compared to fiat currencies. I do think at some point that's going to switch. I do think that, uh, in fact, during Brexit, there was a brief period of time when Bitcoin was more stable than the British pound. And I think that obviously that was a, I think that was the peak of Bitcoin being used as peer-to-peer cash when you had a lot of transactions going back and forth as well as it was one of the peak volatility times for a major currency like that. And so it just, it just happened to coincide, but I do think that that will be the case. So stable coins, I think are a great tool in the meantime. The problem is they, there's a lot of, um, I, I don't, I think it's, they're like a temporary tool. I don't think that they're as, they're much less stable than crypto in a lot of ways. Well, first of all, they're tied to the valuation of fiat. And as fiat gets inflated, that value goes down, 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 down. And so crypto goes down, but it also goes up. So in that way, stable coins are kind of less stable. I mean, they're more stable, but they're they're less desirable because your stable coins never go back up. But the other thing is um, the way crypto is the way stablecoins are structured make them extremely risky in some ways. Um, I think, I personally think the biggest uh, risk is the regulatory risk, where if you do stablecoins, you're basically taking over money from the government and banks. And so if you're creating a different network, like, you know, say a Bitcoin or a Dash or a Decred or something like that, that's a completely different um, system and it's not as much of a direct threat as if you're just saying, "Hey, you know the money we me make the money now. And it's better." <laughs> like I think that's where you start running into problems. 
Uh, we already saw this with things like um, BUSD and the Paxos dollars and stuff like that, where there a lot of regulators in the U.S. are coming after them. I do think at some point regulators are going to start being, they're going to start treating stable coins like um, banks, bank issued tokens. And so like bank accounts. So I think they're, I think KYC requirements will start coming to stable coins at some point in the future. And so that's always like unstable because at the same time, the value of having these stable coins uh, comes from the ability to use them freely. And if that value goes away, I mean, it could be, it could be caught holding something that ends up being worthless at some point, unless of course it's actually backed by fiat in a bank account, which by the way is a, it's a really crazy proposition to think about because when you have, um, let's just say you have dollars or let's just say you have dollars in, in your hand, you have a lot of fake money in the real world, right? If you consider dollars to be fake money that can be inflated, you have fake money. Then you put in your bank account, which is a fractional reserve bank account. So if you add a hundred dollars, now you maybe only have $10 really. The rest of it is based on 10% or probably less fractional reserve. And so now you have a fractional reserve fake money. And then if you have something like um, Tether, let's say you use Tether, which is backed by a whole bunch of different things that they're not super clear on exactly what it is. But at that point, I think one thing is clear is that Tether is not 100% backed and redeemable instantly four dollars in a bank account and so then you have a fractional reserve of a fractional reserve of fake money and that's a really that's really scary if you ask me i would not have my life savings in a, a stable coin like that and then of course you got algorithmic stable coins which um as we learned with the whole luna fiasco can go poorly very quickly the only um stable coin i would sort of trust would be one that is issued by a centralized party which has a one-for-one -one backing in a bank account and is or or there was always redeemable one-for-one -for, -one for all the assets that it claims it uses to back it so even if you had a stable coin that was like dollars or there was like gold silver and bitcoin it was like a combination of all those three gave it its value um it should be able to be redeemed for those assets that says that it says are behind it. Otherwise I don't trust it. Like, can any of us go take um, tether and get dollars into a bank account from that? Um, I mean, some people can, but it's, it's difficult. So that's my stable coin rant. Yeah. yeah I, I totally share your view there that it's something that, to be seen as temporary and not as not a, a solution for the long term um you know i remember back in the day i think you had a um you had a kind of a debate with uh tone vase about bitcoin that was fun um but i, I wonder you know we briefly touched on bitcoin and your views on bitcoin and why you uh let's say chose to explore other cryptocurrencies um, and I, if I'm not mistaken, one of the, okay, you mentioned privacy, but you, I think the main reason was the, 
speed, right? The speed of transaction. So uh, do you think, do you see uh, Lightning Network as potentially, um, you know, winning you back to Bitcoin, so to speak? Or do you, do you think it's from a, I don't know, UX standpoint, it's not uh, ready to, you know, to take that, to take Bitcoin to become uh, useful for cash for payments and so on. What do you think about that? Yeah, I, I use Lightning relatively often, like maybe once a month or so. Uh, and I ran a node for a while. Um, I don't really think that that's a replacement for real payments. And part of that is, of course, the user experience of when you have to manage new channels. If you have to manage all your channels and everything yourself, that's a whole lot of different uh, on-chain transactions, opening and closing channels, and a lot of time waiting and other things like that. And, of course, all those fees that, cr that crop up from there. Um, but it's even when you're using sort of a managed solution, like I like the Phoenix wallet, which is non-custodial, meaning they, they can't steal your money, but it does mean that it's hardwired into um, the async node, which means they have this one big lightning node that does everything for you, opens all the channels automatically, routes all your money. And if you can't connect to that node, then that wallet won't work. You have to close all your channels and go back. And it provides a pretty good user experience. And I think it's probably the best we can hope for with lightning. Um, the problem is just the, the way it's structured makes it really challenging to kind of take this universal um, this kind of universal cash role, I think. Because uh, first of all, when I send an on-chain, doesn't matter which network, when I send an on-chain payment to anyone, I can send any, any amount that I have, I can send to anyone at the world at any time and it, it'll work. And obviously when you talk about BTC on-chain, you have to wait longer because of the mempool and the congestion and sometimes it costs more. But even with on-chain, it just works. You send it. Whereas the ability to send money um, through Lightning depends vastly, wildly on a whole bunch of different factors. It's not just, do you have the money to send? It's, do you have the money to send in the channels that can route to the final recipient? And Sometimes you might have to do two or three different hops. And it's always the weakest link on those hops is the one that breaks first. And so let's say you want to pay uh, $5 for a coffee or something like that. And you want to go through and there's a few different channels. And the one in the end only has $5 in the end. And so you buy the coffee. It does work. It routes through the whole thing. But then you want a second coffee. Now there's no route anymore because the smallest channel along that route already exhausted its $5 liquidity in that direction. They would have to push it through the other end. And so uh, one thing that becomes really obvious on this is when you try to send large amounts through Lightning. And by large amounts, I mean like a, like $1 to $200 worth, which is not a lot of money. But all of a sudden it becomes becomes really difficult to route anywhere because um, it's just a simple, I mean, if I was better at math, I could come up with the actual equation. I'm sure someone has. But the probability of sending an on-chain payment, to the probability you will be able to send to anyone in the world is almost 100% all the time. 
depend no matter what the different factors are, as long as you have the money. Um, with Lightning, the higher the amount and the more different places you want to send, the realistically, probabilistically lower chance that is of ever routing. And so it's it's never going to always just work, unless, of course, you use centralized systems where they manage everything for you. Now, the problem with a centralized system is obvious, I mean, other than you don't want to rely on centralized providers, but it does mean that someone has to do all this managing for you, do all this work, either manually or in an automated way, which still costs time to build and maintain, means it starts to become more expensive. And that's the other thing that I don't think people um, appreciate. And a lot of people don't really understand this about the economic implications of this about lightning is you have to, it's very capital intensive, meaning you have to have money behind every little piece of where you want to send it. With on-chain, you have money, you send it. That's it. Whereas if you're sending a lot of money this way, someone has to put money along the path the whole way, and they could be doing other things with that. And so that's what, what uh, in economics is called you know, capital costs, like opportunity costs of capital. And so, for example, if you could stake your money or lend it out or whatever else you want to do and get 3%, let's just say, pick, pick a random number, 3% back on that um, on that money. If you want to use it to run a lightning node, for example, a hub, a routing node, you have to make at least enough back that after all costs and expenses are done, you have you make 3% based on the amount of capital you then locked up in there. And that that means you're going to have to start charging a lot in fees. And so that's where it becomes really tricky is because you all like, for example, um, let's say like Twitter has 200 and well, it's more, but let's say about 200 million users. If you wanted to let every one of those users receive, not even send, but just give them, have the capacity to let someone route a payment to them, receive $10 each. That's 220 million times $10, that's like, what, $2 billion of capital just lying around just to let all your users receive that amount. And then once, once they done, they have $10 worth, now they can't receive any more and they have to send more through and then that balances out that way. But that that's a huge startup cost. And I don't think that I don't think that that scales except through having a few really well-connected hubs where they they do all the routing work basically and just, you know, kind of like the bank system. And that's kind of what we were sort of trying to avoid. So that's kind of my view on Lightning. I Unlike most people who say critical things on Lightning, I do think it's useful. I do think it has its purposes, uh, especially in very small closed type ecosystems to where, like, for example, if you want to start a bar tab, you know, you, you open a channel and then you pay every, you move some to the other end of the channel every single time you get a new drink. And then it, you just close the channel when you're done for the night, something like that, those kinds of things. Or if you're all doing like a poker game amongst friends and you're all sending, you're just moving money back and forth, depending on who's doing this. And then you close at the end of the night, something like that. Those are good use cases that I think takes a lot of, extra uh, traffic off of the main chain, for example, but 
as far as a replacement for everyday payments, I don't think it's going to work out. Uh, that's a really nuanced and uh, interesting perspective. Yeah, I think uh, uh, it still has um, some issues with um, UX, but like you said, uh, to solve those issues, you need some level of centralization. So yeah, that's a, um, that's a big question if that will ever work out. And by the way, uh, anyone who wants to ask a question, please uh, request speaker or, you know, if you're already speaker, you can... Uh, Raise your hand if you have a comment or a question. Uh, uh, Decred Society, are you here? Uh, if you want to ask a question, I see, I see you have a speaker status. Hey, Tivra. Hey, Joe. How's hey, it going? Hey, thank you. Yeah, um, I mean, I've, I've been trying to live off um, crypto. Can you, can you hear me okay? Perfect. Ah, oh, brilliant. Um, I've been... Since July, actually, we've, I've been full time. I'm doing decred stuff and, and earning my money that way. The one, the one question I have is at the at the moment, how I kind of deal with that is I take my decred out and I, I put it onto DCR Dex, which is decred decentralized exchange, and then I have to go through Coinbase, um, and then I take it out to to fit to kind of pay the mortgage and, and pay all the the major bills. Um, and it just kind of strikes me. My, my next step is very much going to be. How do I how do I do the smaller things? I'm I'm probably never going to be able to pay my mortgage, doing the ways that that you've discussed. Um, but how the, the the next big step for me is is there a way that I can say right? I, I'm just gonna every every day or every week I'm just gonna do one one simple purchase. I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of buy my a smaller bill. Is gonna take off and and try, start using crypto. In, um, to, to do that bill. So just to kind of say right, just to kind of build up to it. Um, it does. It it doesn't freak me out so much because I've kind of got used to kind of taking my fit through the through the the decks um, into into fit, and it kind of works very very well. Um, but there's still this cent central point, and and from my own personal perspective, I I don't think I'm going to be able to get rid of that. But I would like to be able to chip away at some of these these smaller bills. And as the as the old saying goes, I, I'd kind of like to buy a cup of coffee or something with with crypto at some point. Um, is there a, a wallet that you would use? Is there some approach that you would use to kind of to, to make that happen? I think I heard you talking about cake wallet and gift cards. Was that is that right? Is that one that you might suggest? Um, yeah, it depends on um, where you're located. Uh, the thing is what cake specifically supports right now today in the wallet itself is U.S. only. I think that that will start to change this year. But again, I. I'd rather tell everyone good news about new services rather than say, well, plan on something that might not happen. So um, what kind of what, what region are you? Well, I mean, you don't have to say if you don't want to dock. No, yourself, it's, but... it's, it's absolutely fine. I'm, I'm from the UK. But it's, um, yeah, I'm just just UK. So currently the cake wallet doesn't work for me. Is that what you're saying? Um, it does, it's not that it doesn't work, but the, the gift card bit in there doesn't necessarily um work in the uk let me look really quick my biggest go my biggest go-to whenever i can whenever i just don't know for sure is always bit refill and um bit refill is similar to that in that it's a, a gift card um solution that lets you buy a whole bunch of different gift cards also top up mobile, like your prepaid mobile phone and things like that and so um, 
So at the moment, yeah. then, you would say that the, the gift card route, if I wanted to go and buy, I don't know, a, a coffee at Starbucks or whatever, I would go to Bit Refill, I'd buy a Starbucks gift card, yeah. and then um, is that a digital gift card out of interest? Yes. And so, yes. for example, right now at Bit, Bit Refill, you can buy a Starbucks gift card with crypto for the UK and you get a 4% uh, reward or savings on that. Oh, fantastic. Okay, so that, that's my first mission then. So Bit Refill is, is kind of my first mission and try and do that. I, I, I doubt it. Does it take um, Decred? I, I doubt it does, does it? Um, no, not at this point. Um, no, so I'd have to go you? out to Bitcoin and then go straight into that, would I? You know, I, I sorry, I just wanted to say that I, I've spoken with the Bit Refill guys uh, years ago. Um, we were kind of getting closer to uh you know to the possibility of having decred then but at the end it didn't work out but yeah right now it's not there sorry yeah i mean it's it's not the the, the biggest deal i mean as long as you can get crypto into bit refill like bitcoin and we're going to have litecoin on the dci decks fairly shortly so it's not going to be a massive deal but is that how bit refill works do i kind of pass my litecoin into it yeah well you you pay the invoice when it happens it's non-custodial um, I think you can top up. They do have account balances if you want to create an account, but you don't even need an account to use it. Um, so, well, for example, um, they do take Litecoin, Dogecoin, and Bitcoin on-chain as well as Lightning. Obviously, Dash because I've been using that a whole lot. But so, for example, I guess Litecoin because I'm assuming the the Decred Dex doesn't really let you swap directly into a Lightning channel, right? Um, not at the moment, but there is there is talk that Lightning will be part of it. So you'll be able to swap between, I believe, um, Lightning to on-chain and, and vice versa. Apparently that's meant to be um, – so I, I haven't got the, the full story on that, but apparently that is coming, yeah. Yeah, so probably in the interim, um, you could just swap to like Litecoin if, you know, if that's easy to do and then just pay that for – have that be like your bit refill balance. And then you just buy, let's say a Starbucks gift card, and then they can usually scan that barcode at wherever you are. Um, Costa is on there as well. Um, the Amazon.co.uk is on there as well. So there's a whole bunch of things. Um, of course, we got to see if Tesco's on there. That's the big one. But um, yeah, there's a, this is an interesting one. I, in, I do love these kinds of, um, um, questions because whenever i start looking around in different parts of the world i start to um, learn things um, so for example um you know morrison's is on there um this is an interesting there's something called the great british pub card which is a gift card that works at a whole bunch of different pubs and <laughs> so that's that's kind of interesting um i'd have to yeah look into this a little bit more but well, my wife oh, yeah. will like the uh, the Tesco's one, <laughs> so that'd be that'd be good. But no, that's that's really interesting. I I have heard you talk about um, bit refill in the past, actually. On, on I think it was with um, uh, Luke Powell's interview. You talked about it briefly, and it, it does interest me. I've never tried it, so that will be my mission for for this week, just to kind of go out and just try and buy a Starbucks gift card from it. But that sounds really cool. Um, yeah, my uh, first um, my first suggestion would be to start buying a couple things off of Amazon because uh, it helps to just get used to the gift card buying flow in behind your computer 
where you're not in front of a cashier with like sweating because there's a few people behind you in line. So once you get that down, figured out, then you can go out in the real world, buy, then you can maybe buy a Starbucks gift card ahead of time. If you're going to go there in the future, go to the Starbucks and then pay with the gift card. And then the next step would be you go to Starbucks, figure out how much you're going to spend, buy a gift card right there for exactly the amount you need. And then, and then pay for it right there. So that's kind of the the um, the progression of like getting used to knowing how to do this. Yeah, that's that's really helpful. Um, but no, and that's the way I'm seeing it at the moment. I'm seeing that, that my my next step is these is these smaller transactions. I've I've kind of got the, the big step down. It kind of has to be through the the centralized exchange. I, I mean, out out of interest. I mean, you, obviously you don't have to tell me this, but uh, is there any issues paying like your your rents and things like that? Um, so the, that's always been the more challenging thing, depending on where you, where you do it. Um, I do remember, so just to give kind of a historical overview of that, um, for a while I could pay my specific landlord with crypto and they, they kind of handled all the bills outside of that. So it was basically just pay them for everything. Um, at other points, um, there were there have been a few different crypto bill pay solutions. Um, one of them, which unfortunately did not last, was called Lamium. It was um, out of Switzerland, and it was kind of like Purse for people who remember Purse, that basically lets you lets other people pay your bills for you, and then they get crypto out of escrow. It's like a way for them to get crypto privately. That got shut down, unfortunately. Um, Bit refill does have a bill pay system but right now i believe it only works in el salvador they they supported paying people's bills for el salvador and the u.s but their specific fiat provider in the u.s got afraid after the ftx thing and so they don't do that anymore um but they hopefully will do it again at some point um, i believe they haven't touched europe at all not because it's difficult but because there's already a whole bunch of different um crypto bill pay services in Europe. Um, the one that I usually talk about because it's so universal is something called swap in and swap in kind of lets you, they used to be called like bitty or something like that. Um, and anyway, they let you pay regular bills with crypto in a whole bunch of different countries. And that's, I don't know if they specifically take Decred directly, um, but if not, it's just one of the, the many other ones. And so, if you can cover big bills with that and you can buy your coffee and like groceries, that's kind of covers a lot of the living on crypto part. And then the rest is just little things you have to figure out in between. Oh, thanks for that, Joel. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. I think for me, the, the big bill stuff scares the uh, bejesus out of me really. So that's why I kind of do it through the, the centralized exchange, but certainly doing your groceries and, and doing your smaller bills. I think that's going to be quite a lot of fun. Actually, I'm going to, Give that a try. Um, oh, there was one other question, but it's gone. If it comes back to me, I'll, I'll ask. But, but thanks again for answering the, the questions. Brilliant. Thank you for the interesting question. Uh, the other thing you mentioned is the mortgage. Uh, mortgage, I think that would be really hard. I think probably that one is impossible right now, isn't it? Um, well, there's a, a company in that right now operates in the U.S. only, although they are considering expanding, called Spritz Finance. 
and they do let you pay your mortgage in crypto. Wow, right, interesting. Yeah, right now, um, I think that they only accept um, Ethereum and Polygon and Avalanche and some of those EVM chains. They started as a Polygon-only service. Um, I think they're talking about doing Bitcoin. I've been talking to them, too, about taking Dash and some other ones. We'll see what they end up doing. But, um, yeah, I think companies like that are starting to become more prevalent because at the downside of that is there is like a KYC element. And that's like the one area where it's really hard to not do KYC. And at the same, as much as that annoys me, to a certain extent, I understand because um, you don't, I mean, you can pay cash for, you know, let's just say anything like your coffee or groceries, whatever. Um, when you have utility bills, I know in the U.S., um, utility bills and like bills that come to your house are actually treated as a form of identification. Um, for example, when you have a same day voting registration to go vote, um, if you don't, if you haven't already registered in advance to vote, you can come in with, for example, a utility bill, like your water bill, and then they'll sign you up to let you vote in that town like the same day. And so because it, the nature of bills and mortgages is so right now inexorably tied to your identity. I don't really view it as an extra problem that you have to use a KYC service to pay your bills for that because it's already kind of tied to your identity. Um, as long as you don't have to like, give up custody of your funds, which is kind of, you know, what I'm kind of hoping for. And so far that so far, so good. Um, now, I think that this will be a very different situation within the next five to 10 years because uh, uh, just so many things are changing. So for example, um, locally to me, there's a, there's one real estate company in particular called Porcupine Real Estate that has facilitated quite a few, either partially or entirely crypto sales of property of like homes and things. And obviously that gets a little, that's, probably more for rich people because who can just buy a whole house without getting some sort of a loan, right? A mortgage. And so there are some crypto mortgage providers out there that will let you actually get it through there. I've heard it mentioned recently, like in the last year, I have to go back and look into that. Um, it's still probably very new, but there are some ways you could kind of do that. But as far as once you get an actual mortgage, um, paying that is not, it's, Still not always easy, but there's a couple services that let you do that today. Really interesting, really interesting. And uh, you know what, Joel? Uh, my question is now, if people want to, you know, um, all the things we discussed, all these resources, all, all these different services and websites, uh, if someone wants to embark on the same journey as you have, what would you recommend as the as some of the resources that they can access to learn all this? Is there some website or um, something you would recommend? Uh, perhaps um, something that would list all of these things? Yes. Yeah, so there's a couple things. Um, I'm gonna put them in the comment, like comment on the tweet um, right now about them. So I did. Uh, I did a video, um, released it um, three weeks ago, right, called How to Live on Crypto. And that 
updated for 2023, of course. That covers a lot of things. I'll just put that one there. And then I have a website. And in that website, I have a directory of crypto services, which whenever I learn about a new one, I update it. And I'll, I'll put that one in there too. Um, now that directory, it doesn't work well on mobile, unfortunately, because I, I kind of suck at web design. But um, there is a searchable function. So for example, if you... Um, if you're looking at like a bill pay service and you want something that takes Litecoin and works in Europe, you can type in LTC Europe and then it'll show, you know, the three that I know, which are MetaMouse, Swapin, and Bitpanda. Um, oh, as it turns out, um, hold on a second. Yeah. Bitpanda apparently supports Decred as well. So you might be able to use Bitpanda to pay some bills directly in Decred. Um, I don't know too much. I know Bit Bitpanda's, I believe, an Austrian company. I know someone who works there, and it's kind of like I'm I'm sure like a Coinbase style thing. It's like one of those KYC services that still like lets you do a whole bunch of different things. Um, yeah, it looks looks pretty interesting. I don't know. Of course, because of the sorting options, usually all of Europe is combined into one thing. Um, as far as um, a lot of services that work somewhere in Europe work almost everywhere in Europe. Um, but so there might, they might not support something like the UK or Slovenia or something. I don't know. You'd have to check, check that out in more detail, but anyway, I, I commented those two links. Oh, perfect. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and it seems uh, some people are still having a little bit of an issue to connect. Uh, I will really need to analyze this again because um, Twitter spaces sometimes uh, acts in a really strange way, but at least uh, everyone will be able to listen to the recording well, even those that who couldn't uh, speak right now. Um, uh, you know, to come to the ending of this, you know, I would like to ask you uh, perhaps a little bit uh, strange question maybe, but you know, what do you think like, let's say the future, right? Um, if we enter into an age of CBDCs, do you think, uh, how will this impact crypto as payments, do you think? Do you think uh, if uh, CBDCs become, let's say, dominant or predominant in some way because of the ease of use and because of the you know, network effect that would probably come almost immediately, do you think um, uh, they would take over this uh, function of digital payments? Or would that perhaps even, um, even um, mean that since people would, since if countries are going to um, push CBDCs and we can imagine that cash will be de-emphasized or even slowly um, taken out of circulation, that basically the need for uh, for uh, crypto as cash will will increase as a consequence. Do you think that as a do you see that as a possibility for the future? Yeah, I think um, I personally think that we're going to hit more or less of a golden age of digital cash soon. Maybe I'm being optimistic. Um, the thing about CBDCs is the very fact we're talking about them means that. Governments and banks have kind of acquiesced um, 
they've kind of just acquiesced to the fact that the economy is changing and that they won't be able to control all of it. It's kind of like saying like, okay, you guys win kind of, but we still want part of it. And so it's kind of like a, a, a bargaining tactic almost like, can we still have some control? So uh, the thing is the old financial system already has so much control. Like, um, for example, some of these cards are not allowed for purchase of certain kind of goods and services. MasterCard put out a like a carbon footprint tracker s- system for you know its customers, so that you can get a score on how climate friendly your purchases were. And all these kinds of things are already starting to happen through you know intense data collection, all kinds of things. It's already really bad. <laughs> It's really bad. So I'm not really afraid of CBDCs getting worse because while I think they can maybe be worse than the current system, it's not by that much more. I think it's already pretty bad. Um, on the other hand, I don't, one of the reasons I don't like government, I mean, there's plenty of like straight up freedom issues, but I think it's very inefficient. And the, they've been talking about CBDCs forever. We have to realize that Bitcoin started like 14 years ago. That was a long time ago to get to where we are today in the freest market probably humanity has ever known. Government is a lot slower than that. And the ability for them to even copy a blockchain, but like run a good one themselves and figure out all the problems that we're all trying to figure out, I think is extremely um, low probability that they figure that out, that they get their own... Um, chain, their own chain that works well, that does all the cool things that crypto does, but it's still very easy to restrict and program and, you know, and make KYC only and prevent from having hacks and all this kind of stuff. I think it's, it's probably very difficult for them to do that, which is why they haven't in most countries. Now, what I do think is what a CBDC is, I think will start to shift over time. As far as right now, Everyone thinks, oh, they're going to make their own. I mean, it's just crazy to think that most people I see paying with cards in the U.S. still swipe the card. Some of them use those RFID type chips and almost no one does the tap and pay. And they can't even figure that out. I don't think they're going to figure out, you know, how to do like a a digital decentralized blockchain kind of thingy. Um, So I think the next step is they're probably going to they're probably thinking about releasing a cbdc as a stable coin meaning they're going to be instead of like tether or usdc or something there's just going to be fusd like federal reserve usd or something and they're going to issue it and they're going to put it out on all the different like ethereum and polygon and avalanche and Binance smart chain they're going to put it on all the things and people will be paying with crypto, but through that coin, um, which already I think is a win because if they're doing it that way, then every every single um, business out there will have the infrastructure built up to be able to take crypto. So now instead of going and saying, oh, yeah, we can't take that, it's like, well, their software takes all this. All they have to do is just expand their code for their wallet to now support other coins as well as the CBDC. And now all of a sudden that's easy. Um, although I actually think it's going to be a, a step beyond that. I think that, or a step lower than that. I don't think they're going to end up being able to just 
issue their own CBDC from, from scratch, at least not in the short term. Probably what they're going to settle on doing is just regulating, heavily regulating the current um, stablecoin issuers. So for example, I think that every like USDC, Tether, all these stablecoins are going to have to register and be regulated by the central banks. And they'll just put that in law and be like, that's that's what you got to do. And there still will be algo stables uh, out there, but probably algo stables because of regulation, even if they're completely decentralized, they just won't work out as much. Um, so probably the algorithmic stable coins we can see in the future will probably be based on a basket of like digital goods. And so, for example, let's say um, it'd be like between like a Bitcoin and a Decred and like a Litecoin and some other gold-backed state, gold stable coin or something. It'll be between all those or something. And then they'll still have a, a decentralized stable coin. But um, probably most stable coin, like the thing about stable coins, um, I think, as I said there, I think they're a, a temporary measure right now. Um, the only reason they're important is because people want to spend fiat without KYC and digitally. And so if they're all, if they can already spend fiat everywhere, they can spend crypto. They can do a lot of those same things through a CBDC. Some of that demand falls off. If no KYC usage of stable coins goes away or is regulated or whatever, stable coins, as we know them will be dead overnight. And so, yeah, I think it's always, I think that CBDCs will be just a way the government tries to get involved with the whole new digital economy. I don't think they're going to work out super well. I mean, Nigeria has the e-Naira that they're trying to do, and almost no one uses it. A lot of people use crypto. It's just, I don't think it's, I don't think it's going to work out that way. Probably what, what's going to happen is you're going to have a few regulated stable coins that are kind of shit coins, right? Because they, they don't hold their value super well compared to in the future decentralized assets. And I just think that the government's going to be a lot more savvy about tracing regular cryptos and they'll just settle for making sure you pay your taxes on that. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think uh, what's uh, also what's been happening with, like you mentioned before, with BUSD, with the Binance USD and so on, it seems the direction is to, uh, who knows, perhaps make Coinbase uh, USDC, this stable coin of choice. Uh, because also today I read that um, basically Powell said that uh, Fed uh, CBDC is not coming anytime soon. So I think that's probably a possibility that they're that they pivoting to something else, to something like you mentioned, where uh, Coinbase stable coin would be the the one uh, they choose because they seem to be, um, let's say, Coinbase seems to have a good relationship with Washington and so on. Um, uh, Joel, this has been really, really interesting. Uh, and anyone else has any questions, please let me know. Uh, the recording will be available. And, uh, you know, uh, I really respect how, you know, principled you were to do this. I know out of principle, it's re really, I would say, heroic what you did, and it's really inspiring. And um, also, I think if it's also a kind of preparation. In, I mean, God forbid if things go bad in the future, you know, who knows what will happen. And uh, 
I think um, crypto will is the most uh, resilient form of uh, money that we have uh, and that we'll, we will ever come up with. I mean, I cannot think any any better form of uh, an asset to hold. Uh, thanks again, Joel. It was been it has been really. Uh, uh, fascinating, a lot of insights, and I hope to do this again sometime in the future. Yeah, absolutely. It was a lot of fun. Thanks for being on. Thanks for everyone for joining in. And yeah, I'll uh, I'll be back on. Just let me know when. Thank you. Amazing. Thank you. Good night.